And then the other thing is, have I cultivated a world around me that can speak and give me legitimate feedback? You know, what are you seeing in my life that's going to keep me from reaching my full potential? You got to be able to ask people that question the whole way through. If you don't get feedback, then you can't transform those fundamental flaws in your life and they become fatal flaws. You're so set in your ways. People can't stand you anymore. You're more of a distraction than a contribution. People don't want to ride the executive elevator with you anymore more and they move on and it's brutal it comes with a vengeance at that stage of life to be unwanted unnoticed uh, uninvited but you brought it on yourself at some point because you've had no feedback loops in your life no examination of your life yo yo holy hustle podcast here with uh, a mentor, a friend, a pastor, a coach of mine, probably one of my favorite, and I get to tell you here live, make you blush a little bit, my, my, one of my favorite communicators, one of my favorite leaders, um, not just in title, but the way he leads his family, the way he leads his life, the way he's led his churches and everything he's been a part of. And so super pumped to have you here. Peace, Scott. Pastor Scott, thank you so much for joining. No, it's great to be. I've been watching Holy Hustle uh, from the sidelines or the uh, upper deck looking down. And uh, man, when you asked to be on it, I said, absolutely, yes. So even on a beautiful sunny day, man, I'm right here. Well, I love you. We've known each other. Uh, you planted um, um, a couple churches, uh, just from my perspective, I think it was, was Mars Hill in 2004 or five, uh, five, 2005, actually January of 06. Yeah. January 06 was the first January 06. Okay. So I think we started going there sometime later that year at the school, and um, you dedicated my daughters, which is really cool. Sadie and Bella, and I've become, you know, good friends with Tyler and uh, you have just the most beautiful family. You've, you've done so much. You started a church in my hometown, Harvest. It's Harvest, right? Yep. In Elk Grove. I was Harvest, Harvest Church in 1990. And then you went yeah. to 1990 and then you go yeah. to this mega church in Grand Rapids and, 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 then, and then you come back to start Mars Hill changed the name uh real life because of some funny legal reasons <laughs> and then uh and then you were you were a pa um a president uh of an assemblies of god uh university north central in minnesota now um you're at destiny church uh but man that doesn't even even all of that history i feel like there needs to be a movie made about you all that there's still so much the books they've written you know one of the books you recently gave me the language of influence and personal power 360 16 insights for life and learning just these quotes and you like you were talking right before this this repository of content that you have for the last 25 30 years of ministry and leadership and life um bro how how and how did you get how did you know you were going to be a pastor? And ultimately, how did you become a leader of leaders? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. First of all, again, it's great to be with you, Alejandro. And, uh, but, you know, I love, I'm 61. It's a great space of life. It, it, it kind of is like that space, you know, you go through the first 10 years of your career. Let's say you get married at 20, uh, you, you start your career. You go through about 10 years of the first, you know, first kid, first car, first job a lot of adrenaline. And then you go through about 30 years of the sames from about age 30 to 60. Um, you know, same family, you know, same love for the 49ers, uh, same meatloaf on Monday night, uh, same friends and same kids. So you have, you have repetition for about three decades. Then you kind of hit 60 and you enter what's called the last somewhere in the next 10 to 25 years, you're going to take the last trip to the family farm. You're going to buy your last car. You're, so you're going to say your last goodbyes. So I definitely have hit more reflection at 60. Uh, I certainly have tons of tread on the tire. I plan to live a long time and stay sharp and to continue to be a contributor, not a distraction uh, as I age. I want to get older, not old. The Bible is totally opposed to old, completely embraces older. So yeah, I'm getting older. And there's some things in life that only can be experienced by an elder, 
And so someone said, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, at this stage, I just want to grow into be a, a tremendous elder because a lot has to go right in life to be considered an elder. Uh, and so it's just, a, it's an interesting, but when it all starts uh, moving in your early 20s, it's a combination of many things. You know, I, I remember, I think it all started, I'm, and I'm not being uh, overly dramatic, uh, recess in uh, sixth grade up at Wilberton Elementary School in Bellevue, Washington. I was a tall, skinny guy. Uh, I was built like the like a flamingo leg. That's how skinny I was, but I was tall. And so we we had fifteen minute recess. Went out in the rainy, covered patio area, pouring rain in this jam full of five hundred elementary kids. And but we were sixth graders, so we got to dominate the good basketball hoop. Well, the two alpha males, one guy was Matt Ostango. The other guy was, um, 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 uh, what was the other kid's name? It just escaped my mind. Scott Baudet. Um, they were picking teams. There was basketball. There were nine of us standing there. So somebody's going to be left out. So they're picking teams. It came down to this kid named Tommy, little four foot nothing guy, couldn't play. And this other kid that was the best athlete in the school, but he was deaf. And back in the 70s, you wore this big, thick hearing aid. And his name was Dana. And I wouldn't even begin to mimic how he talked. It was very exaggerated, very loud. And they picked the other kid who, who over the kid that was the best athlete. That kid, now the teams were 5-5, five, five, so he was left out. He turned away. He walked straight into the rain. He let out a guttural noise, Ollie, that I will never forget of rejection. Just this painful guttural noise. Now I didn't do anything. I'm a, I'm, I should have been in fifth grade. I was in school early cause it was free daycare when I was four. So I was way ahead of my class. I didn't have any moral resolve, but I remember hearing that kid groan. I think right then God called me to the ministry because I felt, I, I felt pain in this person, even though I couldn't define it or do any mitigate it. I think something started there. And then I was a, a, a jokester. I never stopped talking. So I was, even when I was a freshman on the team bus with the varsity JV and, and freshman basketball teams, the varsity would call me to the back of the bus at some point on a road trip. I'd be summoned to the back of the bus by the seniors. And they would say, tell us a story. Because I could make people laugh. I could tell stories. They weren't godly stories back then. But I remember being able to entertain everybody in the back of the bus as a ninth grader. So I knew that my speaking skills, storytelling skills, all of that as I look back, uh, but it was that burden of the heart. And then the Lord called me to preach the gospel when I was 17 in, in, a, in a Sunday night service. But a lot went on then, man, in my life. Total chaos. I will say this super fast. Moved 27 times as a kid by the time I was 16. Went to a different school, K through 8th, and never went to the same school twice. So people say, how'd you get from point A to point B in your life in leadership? I said, oh, my childhood, I had a huge jump start. They go, what was it, money, education? I said, no, chaos, total chaos. I said, because when you move schools that much, either you develop anger or you develop superpowers for connecting with people. So all that friendship making in K, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, when I was at a different school, all of that became kind of super adult powers in my life to bridge, be in a strange setting, meet someone new, form relationship and not get comfortable. So all of that dude is in the mix. Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to get into some of the coaching you, you work with some, some, you know, been in and around some of the most successful entrepreneurs. Um, you know, you got a buddy down there in Silicon Valley. So you've been around that stuff, but one question I had is you you talked about that, like trauma or chaos or things as kids, uh, that, that stuff goes somewhere as we get older. And I, I guess my question would be, what what's some of the negative side that you noticed growing up or maybe you've dealt with as in, in ministry and as a leader? Yeah, well, clearly, if I didn't have a genuine encounter with Jesus uh, when I was about 16, I would have had no portal, no place to dump it all like a wheelbarrow at the foot of the cross. Everything I've done to myself, everything that was done to me, all of it's in the wheelbarrow, Ollie, and you dump it all. The pain, the sin, the, all of it, it all goes there. 
And that was a dramatic point of new beginning in my life. And then followed up quick by great mentors, man. I had great older men. When I was 16, I had I had friends that were 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old when I was 16. So I saw quality living. I saw godly men uh, at every stage of my future. So I've never felt lost and without a bearing because I've had imagery and practice that was seared into my heart when I was young. So I go, oh, this is what a 30-year-old, that's what a 40-year-old with teenagers, that's what a 50-year-old empty nester, that's a 60-year-old grandpa, that's a 70-year-old widow. At every stage, I've seen phenomenal men. So that combination, um, and I've been in, was in good churches too when I found the Lord. So all of that helped me. If people don't have those, that combination, their, their relationship or their encounter with Christ was kind of quasi. It was this half thing. It was church religion. It was a moment car wash, you know, uh, and, and then they had no mentors and they weren't part of a life giving church and they had no, uh, clear pictures. Cause when we're young, most of us are driven. They grew up the way I grew up with a vision of what not to be. And that can mm. take you about 10 years. There's a lot of adrenaline in not wanting to mm. be your father. But not being your dad is not a vision for your life. It's full of, so good. You, you'll hold your mouth because you don't want to scream at your young wife the way that dad screamed. But at some point, that vision of what not to be has to shift into a vision of what to become. And if you don't have very powerful mentors, it gives you new images of the future uh, of what to become. You're going to lose your way at 30 and all that adrenaline not to be your father uh, is gone and you're going to start replicating everything you hated. Um, because, you know, a lot of leaders don't have legacy platforms and if, so they don't know what to become. Some leaders have mm. legacy platforms and they feel like I can't live up to it. So there's dynamic in both, both, both ways, Alejandro. Um, but if you don't have that encounter, the mentor and the culture and the setting that you're immersed in, it's a tough road. Yeah, I think that environment's so key. You know, one of the things that I love so much about you, you are a world-class father. You and Karen, Pastor Karen, are, are world-class parents, uh, amazing kids. And um, I just remember one time, well, two two things when it comes to to, <laughs> to your preachings. A lot of it was about sports and a lot of it was about your family. And um, you, you, you used to talk to me about your kids and how if they argued, you would make them like go tell each other, apologize, tell each other, you love each other, hug it out, all that kind of stuff. And as someone whose father left when he was young, very dysfunctional family growing up, man, one of the things I was scared most of was having kids and I was going to repeat those same things. But man, I look back now and I think uh, I think there's a lot of sometimes imposter syndrome, like man, I, I you know I could do better as a dad. I could do more. kind of like um, Schindler's List at the end of it. I could have did more. I could have sold this. I could have. And we're always thinking that, man. But I got to an age, man, where just like a lot of people asking me for advice on parenting. Like I, I I use what you said. Like my girls cannot argue with each other. Like if they do, they're getting together. They're hugging it out. They're telling each other they're sorry. They love love each other. And that's as a result of just what you modeled. And so it, it's probably not just me. It's probably hundreds, maybe thousands of parents that modeled so much of what you guys taught. So so you guys are world-class, um, world-class parents. And you talk Holly about- can I just insert right there so I don't want this to slip away because yeah. you, you nailed a huge thing. When I was younger, I didn't realize that the entire second half of my life would be predicated on the harmony and relationship of the siblings. So when the kids were little, I had a great relationship with my kids. But the second half of our adult life has nothing to do with our relationship with our kids. It has everything to do with their relationship with each other. Because if, if siblings form feuds in their adult life, it destroys the joy of the parent's second half of their life. Because now you're always picking sides. Are they there? Are they there? I can't tell you the anxiety in people my age because they are having to referee um, bitterness feuds and breakdowns, and especially with COVID, with masks, the election, vaccinations, everything was accelerated. But we watched so many people our age 
whose lives every day, it's almost like a, a, um, supervised visits because they, are they coming? Are they coming? And these are siblings that they allowed when they were young to form a wedge and the parents took their eye off the ball and didn't understand how that plays out when those kids are 30. Well, it destroys the whole joy of, of, of your adult life. So I tell young families, you got to stay on top of it. Our kids fought. They did this. They did that. But man, we would do a huddle cuddle as fast as possible and say, listen, we are going to love each other and uh, you're going to be best friends for the rest of your life. And I, I said that a thousand times in my, in my home. And I will tell you right now, the fact that those four kids are such great friends is the entirety of Karen and I's peaceableness in our life. I love that. And it's been a huge impact on my girls and just the way people comment about how much they love each other, how good of kids. And I, and I, and I, and I owe so much of that wisdom as a result of, of you, you, this is so key, you know, environment. I want to talk about mentors for leaders and, and ultimately successful leaders. Now we're talking pastors, successful entrepreneurs, people that make me the most nervous is when they don't have a mentor leader coach in their ear. Yeah. Those people make me the most nervous and you and I, and I never published this podcast. I've always wanted to be a podcast. We, we, we you and I talked when I was in Seattle and at the time, <clears throat> this is fascinating. I don't know if you recall this, but we talked about mega church pastors. We, we talked about this. I said, what are your thoughts on like this fame side, this celebrity side of pastors? And you're like, Alejandro, I'm trying to do my best. Sky Hagen, Alejandro. Now we're talking. Like there's, 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 this could get dangerous. And as we've seen right before our eyes over the last few years, you see so much. You know, you see so much of that. Um, you know, kind of some issues with Carl Lentz and other pastors that are falling by the wayside. Can Can you talk a little bit about how you, as kind of a pastor of pastors, leader of leaders? What you see when when you look at that from your seat and your vantage point and what entrepreneurs, business people, church leaders can do to avoid those things? Yeah, it's a great question. Little tiny story tucked in Second Kings. I think it's chapter five. It's about Naaman. Naaman mm-hmm. was a powerful leader. Uh, he contracts leprosy. Uh, he calls for the great man of God to come. So Elisha is going to come. and But Elisha sends his assistant to go pray for Naaman. And Naaman is mm. offended. And he says, I thought mm. the great man of God was going to come and wave his hand over me. And he, so mm. instead, this nameless third, fourth rank person in the kingdom uh, goes and gives him the message of life, go dip seven times in the Jordan. But it says that Naaman went into a rage. And that's what power does to people because power Mm. only wants to talk to other powerful people. So that's why when you Mm. see a known minister fall, the worst imaginable thing is when they latch into another known ministry. And we're seeing it right now. Mm. where I'm famous, so only famous people can help me. And that is (laughs) a horrible methodology. The best thing that Mm. could ever happen to a famous pastor when they fall is for some pastor of successful church of 400 in a small community without a social media presence to come and help rebuild that guy's uh, or that guy's mm. life and marriage. But we tend mm. to, because I perceive myself as famous, that I only walk in famous lines. I'm still, even when I've been humiliated, I'm still going to lean into fame and power. And it's a it's a terrible mistake that we make psychologically, spiritually, Alejandro. But I think the celebrity thing, it's nothing new. In the 70s and 80s, when I was just getting rolling, we had huge celebrity ministries. It, it, it's lived out on social media. So the speed and the information travels faster. Um, but you still had people doing foolish things with money, their bodies, sexuality. Um, and, and another thing too, here's the, the tough thing about social media is, and I watched this with a very famous minister that was right next to me in Grand Rapids uh, that we all can remember a few years ago. Um, he, he was known for innovation. And then when you start running out of ideas, innovation moves into being provocative. 
So now you're provocative with as much as you can be, but then you run out of things to be provocative about. So now you have to be provocative with, with, with the Bible. And so now you're saying things that are provocative in scripture. It's almost like a sinking ship that's throwing the deck chairs off. And ultimately all I have left is to throw you off to save myself. So you see the shock jock, the Howard Stern model of communication in which I've got to continually say something so provocative to, to keep people's attention. And once you're committed to the path of being provocative, you can't get out of it. And pretty soon, that's when I, I put the egg timer on. I said, that's got about 24 months left. It's because what's going to happen? He's going to say, she's going to say something contrary to scripture, to orthodoxy. And the church is going to say, see, ya, um, as we've seen that happen. Uh, and so I just, man, you just celebrity and that need to be provocative, to keep eyes, to keep being noticed. And again, social media is all about, we've gone through this last 10, 15 years. Notice me, notice me, notice me, but don't examine me. I don't want to be examined. I want to be noticed. But the whole premise mm. for sacred leadership, biblical leadership, even if it's not pulpit or teaching ministry, you're a believer that loves God, that is high-end quality in the marketplace, wants to make an impact, make money, use money. Uh, at some point, sacred leadership is all about being examined and not being noticed. And so mm. you can't you can't maintain authority. You can maintain influence some scale of notoriety, but not authority if you are mm. avoiding examination of your life. And some people that get famous, they can't take it. They, they just run from it. So they just keep running to more famous people and it just runs out at some point. It's like Hitler being down in the bunker by himself. Yeah, no, that's good. You, you, you know, the marketer in me goes, you know, and, and I'm sure there are people that are going, well, I, I got to, Scott, I got to stand out. I got to be different. You know, like you, you have a book on language and, and personal power. Like what is the right recipe or framework for growing in influence, impacting an audience, serving them well with their best interests in mind, as opposed to kind of persuading people, manipulating people for what's be what, what's in my best interest. And so what's that fine line that you find to be a great leader of influence yeah. today? Well, I believe that the Lord in the scripture endorses creativity and excellence. Okay. Creativity and excellence. Mm -hmm. Those are fabulous categories that allow me to freelance and to become, to innovate, to be fast, uh, to be unique, to be distinguishable, but it's never at the expense of somebody else. Anything that requires mm -hmm. me to take from you in order for me to possess, that's where that check of the Holy Spirit as a leader, as somebody, yeah, I want... Five million people to watch my my leadership class. Uh, what can I do? Is, is it quality? Is it is it hitting the need? I think about that all the time, but it's never at the expense or the or the the deterioration or tearing down of another human being, or at the expense of the fundamentals in scripture of faith, speech, conduct, love, and purity. That's always been my dashboard. First Timothy 4.12 and 13, let, let no one look down on your life, your youthfulness, but be thou an example in faith, speech, conduct, love, and purity. So that's my dashboard. That's my gas tank, my speedometer, my heat. That's what I look at, uh, faith, speech, conduct, love, and purity. And so if I'm violating the, one of those five things and I feel that check, um, and then the other thing is, have I cultivated a world around me that can speak and give me legitimate feedback? You know, what are you seeing in my life that's going to keep me from reaching my full potential? You got to be able to ask people that question the whole way through. Um, if you don't get feedback, then you can't transform those fundamental flaws in your life and they become fatal flaws, usually north of 60. You're so set in your ways. People can't stand you anymore. Uh, you're more of a distraction than a contribution. People don't want to ride the executive elevator with you anymore and they move on. And it's brutal. It comes with a vengeance at that stage of life to be unwanted, unnoticed, uh, uninvited, but you brought it on yourself. 
uh, at some point because you've had no feedback loops in your life, no examination of your life. Yeah, that's really good. And I think, you know, the question becomes, and then how, how do you find those mentors or pastors or coaches in your life? What type of posture, what can you do to get on the radar of those people when they're busy, they have people they're pastoring and, and leaders, the leaders are, are, are busy. How, how do you find someone like that to, Hey, I, I got some gaps. I got some blind spots, Scott. Can you, can you check in on me? Like what, what's the approach there? It's a great question. First of all, the, the person longing for that, they have to throw down their nets and follow and get in the steps of the mentor. That mentor mm. is not sitting around. When I was young, I wondered why my first pastor, Charles Crabtree, wasn't ever calling me. I didn't realize how busy he was. And so a um, little quick story is all the staff used to complain about their lack of one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And I was complaining too. And we all had to rotate this eight o'clock service to give announcements. And so what happened is you would have to get there at 7.15 early, go into the eight o'clock service with Charles Crabtree, do announcements. And, but you would complain because it would be every eight weeks, you'd have, it would be your turn. So I do it for the second time. I'm sitting there drinking coffee. I'm 20 years old. We're talking about his library, asked him a question. And I'm sitting there going, is this great or what? I'm having 45 alone minutes with one of the greatest leaders in the world. So the next staff meeting, I said, Hey, I'm, I know I'm young. I'm dumb. I drool on myself. I'm stupid. Uh, I don't get it. You guys are the pros. You need sleep. You guys are working. I know I'm an idiot, but hey, if you guys don't mind, I'll be more than happy to do that every week. They go, what? It's all yours, man. So guess what, Alejandro? I made it as easy as possible to get into the setting of Charles Crabtree. I had 45 minutes alone with him every week for five years. And that's why when I was inaugurated president of North Central, who preached it? Charles Crabtree. We became a father-son relationship. But I did so back to the mentor. The mentee has to get into the steps, throw down your net, get into the steps of that person, take their class, read their books, get on their podcast. Secondly, I tell young guys, uh, young men and women, don't look for one all-consuming mentor. Nobody's your guru. I had I had four primary men. Each one taught me a little different aspect of my leadership hole. So don't put it on one person. Don't, you got to be my dad. You got to teach me how to preach. You got to teach me how to handle money. You got to teach me how to be a husband. I found that it's really a combination of two to three, maybe four highly significant people that are teaching you a facet of your life. But if I feel the burden to be the all-consuming one mentor of this make-or-break situation, I back away from that because I can't deliver that. So even at this stage, as I'm around great leaders, I, we talked about some of them before here, I'm not looking to them to open every door for me or to do, I'm not looking for one of them to do all that for me. I'm learning an aspect from this way forward of my life. And so have, have a handful of mentors, not just one. Now, what is the, what is the filter that you, as the mentor, what, what makes a great, a great mentor, not, not just a good mentor that, yeah, I can answer some questions because I've been got experience, but what, what makes a great mentor? First of all, it, it's a seasoned life that has hmm. reproduced, not simply produced. So, hmm. um, Leadership is not about production. It's about reproduction. So have I been able at this stage of my life uh, to reproduce my life in other people? Is there somebody that's taken the ideas and taken the observational framework of my life? They simply have watched your life and tried to emulate it. That is key. And when I look for those people that inspire my life, there's a reproduction. There's a sustainability. They have put together a thousand days in a row that all look the same. Uh, there's something about them today that looks just like yesterday. There's something about them th tomorrow that looks like today, rather than uh, guessing which version of you is coming through the door. So, I mean, mm. there are some business mentors that are help us with ideation. We bounce creative ideas. They just have an ability with words. I get calls every week from somebody who says, hey, I'm preaching on this Sunday. How can I say this better? 
And I can usually, yeah. sometimes I feel like a vending machine, but it's my <laughs> skill set. I know how to synthesize. I love language. I've been around a while and I can help people say things that they're like, that's how I want to say that. So I enjoy mm. that, that skill set and giving away to people that I love. And so, you know, there's no, there's no clock. There's no money for that. That's just like, Hey, um, um, cause I enjoy that, but I ultimately, the people that inspire my life are people that have, um, reproduced something in their life, not just produced a profit, produced an influence. They've reproduced in people something that they themselves are. Um, but yeah, that consistency, yeah, their, their family, their marriage, their kids, I may get an idea from them, but I would never call them a mentor. Uh, I would never say I'm seeking to emulate something from you. Um, you are a source of ideas for me. Uh, you're a, you're like uh, somebody that I bounce things off of, but a real life mentor is somebody that represents the future that you want to possess. Like what in their life th that they have that I want to, possess? like, you know, for me, you know, we got these 11 grandkids now. So I got, I got a whole new, thing. I'm trying to find successful grandparents, grandfathers, how grandfathers have done it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that uh, it, it's about have they reproduced? Yeah. And how are you doing that now? Like, you know, with grandfathers, like at 61, still learning, right? You're still wanting to grow. Like, how, how are you doing this as, as Gramps now? Well, you, you have to figure out, here's how I did it as a father. I had direct access. How do great grandfathers uh, build great stories and memories and markers for their grandchildren. Because I've been to enough funerals where, where a 23-year-old grandson is talking about his grandfather. And, the, and I mean, it's powerful to be in the presence of a godly grandfather at his passing and to hear the kids, not just their kids that are in their, probably their 40s or 50s, but the grandkids that are in their early 20s, and that space of impact that a grandfather has upon teenagers um, and early 20s, and that's usually when the transition then starts to happen where they pass away. But man, when you're around those kids, like, okay, what what happened in that space? And it was it was time. It was it was creating resources. You know, you should have a little bit more money at this stage of your life to be able to create settings and platforms for your grandchildren, giving them educational opportunities, giving them missions trips, um, and then just fishing and talking, laughing, having fun. You know, we just we just planned a big slime party for the backyard, uh, mm -hmm. coming up with my with my grandkids. So, you know, I'll buy the slime and we're going to have a blast. But there's something about them seeing a man mm -hmm. in his 60s uh, that's childlike and enjoys their presence. Man, it just creates this alter uh, experience of this culture where children are raising mm -hmm. themselves. It, being a grandfather has never been more critical in this culture than it is right mm -hmm. now. Why do, why do you say that? I just believe because... Children have no emotional markers. Remember what I said about I saw life in the future? What a grandparent does, it gives the child hope when they're teenagers that life can go well, that you can be peaceable. You've lived for the Lord. You've lived your life clean of alcohol and drugs, and and you have done the right thing with your money. And I and so when they see the chaos of their culture, they see through the smoke and they see, wait a minute, I saw a life that was lived well, I'm going after them. I'm with them. I'm not with you. I'm with, I'm with them. And so I think that imprint is huge, especially in this chaotic world where families are no longer presented as units, Alejandro. Yeah, that, that is, that is key, you know, and that's one thing for, for me wanting to double down and being so intentional about the family unit. Um, it, it's, it's massive for me. So switching gears here, I let's say I'm 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 a successful real estate agent, uber successful, crushing it, tithing, giving, faithful on Sundays as an usher. You know, I, I'm successful in some sphere, but I may not have a lot of influence. I, I I I but I but I kind of I feel like I have something inside of me to give back and to help others. Maybe I start a podcast one day. Maybe I start a course. Maybe I just 
journal on my social media about what, what I'm doing or whatever. What is the, what is your uh, framework or if like, Hey, I come to you, Scott, and I say, Hey, I want you to coach me on growing my influence. I want to, I love what you said. I want to be an influential leader. What, what are my first steps to, to growing that? And it's a great question. I still struggle with, um, what I call increase uh, in life. Scripture says plant water, God gives increase. I think strategic scaling can be uh, disappointing at times. Um, you know, I, I, I published two very highly marketed books uh, in 2001 and two by, with, uh, at Charisma House. I sold 22,000 books. There was no social media. Uh, the publisher thought that we would sell a million. He, he publicly announced me as the next Max Licato of the charismatic world. I mean, no pressure. Um, and then I stumble on a book that I didn't really intend to write, a collection of sayings that I self-published. It got discovered, and I've sold tens of thousands of these books. And so it leaves you in a quandary like, so how does this, how does that outcome? How do we guarantee our outcomes? I think where influence mm. starts, it always is, is in the curation of content. Um, mm. I say it this way that um, people, you got to keep the right proportion of icing to the cake. You can't have one inch of cake and four inches of icing. It's four inches of cake, one inch of icing. So uh, content is the cake. Creativity is the icing. And sometimes we are trying to put a disproportionate amount of creativity on very shallow content. Um, so how does content merge? Well, for me personally, I've melted uh, melded the, di the disciplines of speaking, writing, and thinking. Sometimes you try, you're known as a great communicator, but you don't write or think much. You just are just a gifted talker. Sometimes you're a good thinker and maybe even a writer, but you don't speak. So I, I always ask leaders, how do you combine all three disciplines? Because all three feed on each other. Um, I, I was um, a gifted joke teller in high school, but I, I didn't think clearly. I wasn't taught how to think critically. Uh, education, my master's, my PhD process helped. Uh, taught me how to think about the world around me at a slower pace, and then how to capture epiphany. The key to influence and content, Ollie, is, is epiphany. An epiphany is something that arrives suddenly, but most people can't ca capture epiphanies. Uh, there's a great philosopher, his name is uh, John Schotter, and he talks about the different dimensions of noticing. And the seventh dimension is the highest of noticing and it's called a disquiet. A disquiet is the is the most subtle thing the human soul can feel. It's the most subtle breeze, the subtle sound. You feel a disquiet that gets your attention. Uh, writing, journaling helps you capture disquiets. Disquiets typically turn into an insight into a noticing of some kind, which then my vocabulary is developing because I'm writing, I'm growing my vocabulary. And I will tell you, Ollie, one thing I do, anytime I read any word that I don't know, um, is I stop and look it up. And here's mm -hmm. a little, here's a little hack. I don't let people know my yeah. secret sauce, but I'm going to give a secret sauce now. <laughs> Let's say you want to study a topic. Let's say you're, you want to study anxiety. Instead of typing in anxiety into the space bar, type in anxiety and then type PDF. Hmm. And what it does, it unlocks hundreds of academic articles on anxiety. Hmm. So you get pop culture. If you just type in, I want to study anxiety. You get all this stuff that everybody's looking at. If you want to get into mm. the secret vault of language and learning, type in anxiety and then type PDF. These are peer uh, review journal articles. These are academic articles mm. that, on anxiety. Now you're seeing mm. language and you're seeing thought processes on anxiety. If you just, if you just type in PDF, 
Uh, now, a lot of PDFs you have to buy. Most of them, half of them are free. Yeah. You'll download stuff you never knew existed on the planet, page after page of academic, thoughtful writing on a topic. That has grown my language. So I just gave away one of my absolute secrets. Yeah, that 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 that's massive. And, you know, I remember back in the day you had um, notes for leaders and it's just like stream of consciousness. And one of the biggest things, Scott, and this is part of the reason I started the podcast, just to consistently improve language, right? I had so much in my head, so much in my heart, but I wasn't producing and creating that content. So you now, you have so much in your head. You were saying right before we, you know, when you preach and you speak, you don't really need notes anymore. But in your 20s, 30s, 40s, someone that goes, I've never created content. Where do they, where do they start? Yeah. I, I just I really post more. I yeah. want to share what's on my heart. Um, somewhere in their posting. And again, I am, I won't say I was early, an early adopter of putting pithy things worse yeah but it's it's the way i think um but it's yep. it's the result though of of more lengthy writing alejandro if you just mm. get suckered into i just do a podcast share my opinions people are mm. gonna there's no depth to it after a period of time That's you, so you have to talk about more than one thing and go deep study and education gives you the rigor to talk about several things with a sense of depth and language. So, so writing's the key. Writing is the key. You've got to find a way to post um, content or a blog, LinkedIn articles that test your writing. Then go find a third grade teacher in your church. Mine was Audrey Brooks, third grade teacher. I would give her a two-page article I'd written. She gave me back 12 pages of notes. It was like the miracle, the fishes and the loaves. I go, how did two pages turn into 12 pages of notes? And ultimately she taught me how to write. And she loved being an editor, never charged me a penny. She would read my papers. This doesn't make sense. Better word here. Until finally, after a couple of years, I got a happy face and no corrections. It was a big day from my third grade teacher. Find an editor, find a mechanism, uh, LinkedIn articles, uh, uh, you know, a paragraph or two on Facebook, even though the world wants fast content, concise writing is critical to improve your speaking, your vocabulary. Look at that and see where you're replicating words in sentences. Um, the, use your thesaurus on your word file. Um, and then there is magnificent tools with click, click, and it's in front of you on word exchange, synonyms. I'm always trying to find a better way to say something. I do this every day when I speak, right? Come up with a one-liner. How can I say this better tip of the spear um, that can pierce through? So I do all of those disciplines now. And I don't, I don't lean into everything that's already there um, from the uh, years of doing this, but um, you got to write, Alejandro. If you want to speak better, you want to think better, you have to write. Yeah, that's good. And and that's, you know, shoot or shoot, right? You know, you, you know, writers write. And and that's one, that's probably the thing that I've, um, and maybe it's imposter syndrome for folks. Maybe it's, I don't feel like I have anything to say. Um, what what would you to say, say to folks? I, I, Scott, I just don't, I don't feel worthy. I, I have imposter syndrome. I just don't know what to say, Scott. Like, I just, what would you say to someone that it's, it's there. I got something inside of me. I just don't know yeah. where to start. Yeah. And if the desire is to increase influence, if the desire is to mm. scale up um, your influence, and but you can't engage in writing, I, I don't think there's a way forward for that person. You've got to get yeah. through that feeling. And again, the best way is you can publish now. It used to be you had to get published in magazines, journals. This is 20 mm. years ago, 30 years ago when I started. Yeah. And a lot of disappointment, a lot of not hearing. Now- with LinkedIn, Facebook, just start publishing your writings and then kind of yes, gauge good. the feedback. But be but you have to have that third grade teacher help you yeah. edit your posts because you can look foolish quickly as a yeah. writer or someone either says that's not accurate. You feel humiliation and you withdraw back into shame and inability. I got a D in college English. And for a long time, for about a decade, I said, I, I'm not a writer because I got a D in English. 
and so I had to I had to disassociate that D from writing. And then you, I don't just dive in. And I'm 61. I pub, published my first article when I was 30. And I look at them now, they're so basic, but that constant writing uh, changed the trajectory of my life, my speaking and, and life said it was, and my thinking life. And you said it was your, like, you're still, like, you're saying you're still doing it. I think some leaders, they get to a point where, like, I'm kind of just, I've kind of arrived. I kind of made it. And, like, for you at 61, already such a, an amazing speaker, still having the discipline to improve, to grow. Can I get 1% better here? Can I get 2% better here? Can I get 0.3% better here over time? I think is, is just a powerful thing. So and now Ollie, I've you, go ahead. You, you have to have the thrill of learning, uh, not the thrill of mm. delivery. So an epiphany mm. is so, it's so incredible to be alone and to, Think of something, refine it with language, and it's true, and you can feel it. Most of the, not not your reaction to what I'm writing, but my reaction to what I'm writing. It's it's an epiphany. It's like, that's true. I'm going to practice yeah. this and learn this. If you don't love learning and that those fireworks go off when you of discovery, you're just trying to find something, content to sell, produce. I don't know if it works that way. No, that's really... That's really good. So we we scale up, we grow our influence, we're starting to write, we're starting to have influence and growing our audiences and our communities of the people that we serve. What advice do you have for me to keep that influence now with everything happening around us versus when you what what you were saying in the 90s at Harvest? you know, to keep your influence as a leader, right? Because times have completely shifted. You've probably gone through a lot of that, right? Of, 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 of how society is, how economies are. And so you've probably seen so much. And so how has what you teach now or how you coach leaders now shifted? Like what is the conversation now? Well, the conversation now is everybody is driven for survival uh, to begin being noticed and seeking to monetize every aspect of their life. And we got to make money. But if your drive is to monetize everything, life is going to be so disappointing. You, love is not a livelihood, Alejandro. You, most of the people you help in this life can't pay you for it. So you, you can't always be looking to monetize every single thing you distribute in this life. People will see through that. It will feel insincere. They're not going to attach to where you're coming from. Um, so I tell young leaders um, in your pursuit to make money, because now we're trying the content industry is massive. It's central. COVID is created. How can I sit at home? create content and be wildly well off um, just with content. Gosh, buddy, I don't know if content is that is as accessible as picking an apple off a tree. It's, 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 it's so many things form the diamond. So many things form the value, discipline, discovery, intentionality, but seasoning relationships, writing, thinking, education, all of this disappointment, having kids, friends whose lives are falling apart. All of these are the under earth pressures that form this diamond that once it's cold, created and polished is delivered. So I think hacking our way, choosing speed over seed, uh, I don't have a simple answer for young leaders that are that are 28, I'm 61. And pe uh, some people say, I tell church planners, they say, if somebody asks, hey, how's the church going? Say, I don't know. Check back in 10 years. I'll let you know. It's because this is this is not a stock ticker. Um, sometimes we stumble on an idea and it monetizes quickly. Um, sometimes we need to think better, sell our lemonade better. Put the, put the lemonade stand over here. This is your gift, Alejandro, is to help people say, hey, You've already curated legitimacy. If you if you position it this way in the market, you'll have a much greater return. 
That's being smart. It's the same way a, a farmer plants his seed, the angle of the sun, the hill he plants it on. Nothing wrong with that. But just hacking our way to success without a personal life, a private life that is legitimate, um, that is a trail of tears of broken relationships. I would say young to young leaders who want to be wildly successful, you have to protect your progress in life. You have to keep bringing your life forward. You can't cancel and move on. Nobody can live unknown anymore. Um, if you screwed people over, burnt bridges, lied, didn't pay your bills, all of that's waiting for you. It's called your reputation. Uh, everything that you did back here is actually there to greet you in the future. So you have to work hard, uh, not to make everybody like you, but simply to say that nobody can look me in the eye and say, you did me wrong and you never attempted to fix it. Now, they may still hate your guts, but no one can say you wronged me and never attempted to make it right. Um, you didn't own it. So um, there's not a room in this world right now, Alejandro, that I can't walk into because I think, oh, they're there. Um, think how many, think how much energy it takes in life to avoid people. When you live with a clear conscience and you're making certain you're going slow enough with humility to clean up any mess you created, even though you may not have left a fan back there. They may be mad at you. It didn't work. No chemistry. We moved on. They can't say that you that you uh, were wrong to them or mistreated them. So there's not a room in the world that I walk in and check the room out to see if they're there. Are, are they here? I can't tell you the freedom at 61 uh, to... Mm. Spend your life not avoiding anybody. Yeah, that's that. That is that is powerful. And I sometimes every every few years I'll think, man, thank God I didn't do some of these stupid things that I thought about. You know, thank God that you know I didn't cross certain people or whatever, man. Because I was I was a punk kid, and now everything, like you said, everyone's kind of known. People know. You know, it's a small world. It's a more connected. It's it's a more connected world, but it's not really connected um, in a very fascinating way. What what are you in your life, and of everything that you've accomplished, like what are you most proud of that you've accomplished? There's one single thing, top of your head. This is the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah, that I discovered and have cultivated 41 years with one person in my life as a wife. <laughs> um, that haven't had an affair. Um, mm. I haven't, uh, I'm not a perfect man, but that Karen and I can be alone in this house after 41 years, both in our sixties, we're laughing our heads off over something we were talking about. We're making plans for what we're doing for lunch. And we passed each other in the hallway and we just bumped into each other, gave each other a, a hug. I know it seems trite, but the fact that- Somehow, this woman I met that we have kept this marriage alive and strong, without a doubt, the greatest contribution, Ollie, we give this world is not the company we build. It's not the church we build. Mm. It's the family we build. We mm. have to bless the earth with our family. And the fact that all four of my kids are wanting to replicate their childhood right now with their kids. So we go visit Tyler. They're going to pizza. They're at the little league game, the home where mm -hmm. they're, it's exactly his childhood. Now I never wanted yeah. my child to have my childhood. So mm -hmm. in one generation to have your child who you did not want to have your childhood desire that their child has their childhood. I'm not trying to be the Riddler here. It's without a doubt the greatest feeling in the world is seeing my children seeking to replicate their childhood family life with their families. Yeah. When I'm 60, if we keep talking about family, I just start bawling. But when I'm 61, I'll give you a call and, and I want to, I want to see if that's true. I want to see if like, are they, because I'm, I feel like this, I don't want my kids to have, you know, and I've worked so hard. Yeah. Um, and then replicating, I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I'm not going to talk on that more because I will cry. Um, <laughs> how can people connect? How can people connect with you and learn more? Talk a little bit about, um, the five minute leadership podcast Class, that you're doing yeah. on Instagram. Can you, can you talk a little about how, 
the best places to connect with you? Yeah, well, where I'm focusing my life, you know, I just came out of six intense years of leading a university, administrating North Central COVID. The George Floyd death was right in front of my, right next to my school within a few blocks. It's very intense decision-making. You're just, you know, time. So um, this new season's wonderful. I'm focusing on teaching and preaching and writing. So I'm doing postdoctoral work at a great university back East. Um, and I am doing some exciting research, uh, at this university. Um, and then I'm preaching and teaching. I'm traveling 20 to 30 weekends a year. I'm in Las Vegas this Sunday I was in Des Moines last Friday night at a big men's conference. And I preached at Hope City in Houston that previous Sunday. And then I'm here in Sacramento one to two weekends a month. Um, I, I lead a mentoring cohort, uh, with, I work with Scott Wilson and, uh, um, I'm leading an exciting cohort of, of, uh, 14, uh, black pastors that are just amazing. And part of this wonderful network of black congregations and the Lord has brought us all together. That's exhilarating, uh, for me. And then I, I started this, uh, I'm still writing. We have a new marriage book. It's all submitted to the publisher. It comes out, um, It'll come out in the spring. It's called, it's called No Ordinary Promise. And it's, it's, mm. it's a gift book full of beautiful photography and short sayings and stories uh, that are, that's really our marriage philosophy. So that book comes out in the spring. Um, but the, the big piece is I started uh, about nine weeks ago, a brand new initiative. Uh, I got a beautiful studio. I, I published something called the five minute leadership class. And it, it, yes, it seems okay. to be taking root, uh, uh, between LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook reels. It's getting about 10,000 unique views a week. Um, and it's just kind of an academic pastoral. I'm a Pentecostal guy. So there's a fire and intellect, leadership, marketplace, church. It all kind of shows up in this five-minute leadership class. And you can find it uh, on Instagram at Dr. Scott Hagen. So Dr. Scott Hagen, H-A-G-A-N, on LinkedIn as well. Um, so that's kind of the two main spots that I publish. And then I put it on a Facebook reel as well. But Instagram is the best space to find me on with the five-minute leadership class, Dr. Scott Hagen. That's awesome. I'll, I'll link up everything here in the show notes to make sure to give um, Scott, uh, a follow. Um, and before these last two questions, man, just want to say you've been such, uh, I still tell people, man, you've been such an inspiration in our early marriage, um, as a father, as, um, you know, a husband and, um, even as an entrepreneur, just the, your intensity of, of learning and discipline and, and wanting to live a life of character and integrity you know, you know, you, you talk to God, man, you love God so much. And it's always little conversations back in the day that we had that I, I still, uh, I still feel so connected to you 15, 20 years later, 20 years, almost later. Crazy. Um, so I love you, man. I'm really grateful for all that you're doing. Love you too. And very proud of your family. Um, Keep it going. We're doing it, man. We're doing it. Okay. If, if you can go back, um, to your younger self, let's say it, 25, 30, maybe a moment in time and give you some advice back then for maybe what's to come life, you know, like the hard times, the good times, bad times. What advice would you give to your younger self at 25, 30? Yeah. Uh, great question. Here's what it would be. I would tell myself, Hey, Scott, uh, be very focused because this life goes slower than you think it goes slower. Mm. Everybody says it goes faster. It actually goes slower, which means you don't have to have it all right now. Let things grow plant because life actually goes slow. Uh, and you have time to develop yourself. So don't be antsy and shortchange um, uh, your life and your uh, let the seed. Uh, don't be so addicted to speed and and like time's running out in this anxiety. You know, slow is fast. Fast is slow. The more I strive, the more elusive life is. The more I yield, the faster it comes. 
It's it's the irony of the kingdom. So when I'm running, striving, I just can't get it. And But when I yield my life, somehow it always seems to come faster than I anticipated. So fast is slow, slow is fast. and But life actually goes slower than I thought it would, which means, why did I rush that? Why did I get so have so much anxiety about that? It actually did arrive in the right time and space. That's the first major thing, Scott. Um, then the second thing is understand that most of the people you admire in this life are going to fail. I've seen far more things not work than work in people's lives. So I'm going to accumulate all of these observational disappointments in people. How, what is it going to cause me to deteriorate? And, you know, it's not midlife crisis, um, Ollie. It really is scientific that around 45, most people start to deteriorate and no longer develop north of 45. And I do a whole presentation. I got to speak to the U.S. Blackhawk pilots in at Hunter Air Base about this. Got 90 minutes. The guys who actually flew into Bin Laden's home and compound wow. in the, were in the room. The Zero Dark Thirty guys, not from the movie, but the yeah. original guys that went in, yeah, were yeah. in the room. It was 90 pilots, and I got 90 minutes with them. And we talked about deterioration north of 45. And we, I gave some steps. It is kind of a, a talk I do. How do I develop it north of 45? Because I'm accumulating so many disappointments through people who are, I love that their marriages are failed, their business failed, their ideas didn't work. Mm. They now are becoming bitter. Their outlook is toxic. How do I like Caleb in the Bible? Say, I'm as strong today at 85 as I was at 40 for going out, for coming in. Everybody in Caleb's world failed except for except Joshua. How am I around mm. this ocean of disappointment in others and yet be this beautiful greenhouse of development in the heart of that? Mm. So um, it caught me off guard when I would see people who I knew well turn their back on God. It caught me off guard to see people in their 40s abandon their marriage. And it's like I was shaken by it. But then I began to understand that this is one, the Bible says the love of people's hearts grow cold. And Caleb saw all of his friends become idolaters. So knowing that I'm not connected to any of that, that I have to be Mm. the only Christian in the room. And if my wife and I, if our marriage flourishes, uh, it's going to happen regardless mm. if our friends fail. They're in, so I have to have that mindset. And that's been the other thing I would have told myself at a younger stage. That's so good. That's so good. What is your definition of the holy hustle? Yeah. I, I, when I think of the hustle, I, I come, I was a basketball player. So I heard the word hustle <laughs> there, uh, <laughs> that it's something on the inside of me. Um, Mm. I found that there was another way to define hustle. Like I'm going to hustle you. I'm going to hustle you out of something. I'm going to, I'm going to head fake you. Um, I'm going to be deceitful. I'm going to extract something from you in a way Mm. that's manipulative. So the holy hustle for me means a God honoring willpower and work ethic, a God honoring ingenuity, uh, that's holy and that I'm driven by a passion and a fire to get my fanny out of bed in the morning to make certain mm. I'm not up all night playing video games or scrolling or on YouTube and that I'm resting uh, because the number one indicator that life's out of alignment, Alejandro, is insomnia, mm. the inability because mm. sleep and rest is the great promise of scripture. He gives his godly mm. sleep. If I can't sleep at night, I have to really, evo- like what's, if I have to be pumping, you know, melatonins and everything else just to, you know, yeah. turn it all down. Um, something's out of alignment. Um, but the hustle piece for me is making certain it's holy that I am honoring God, but I am driven my, and then lastly is this, it's the difference between energy and strength. I'm 61, my energy dips, but I'm not, it doesn't mean I'm not strong. 
So mm. Psalms 1 says, blessed is a man whose tree is firmly planted by the rivers of living water. There's a difference between rain and the river. Rain refreshes, but the river is what supplies the root system. I have to live because I'm near the river of God, not simply waiting for something to fall out of heaven to keep me alive. So I need energy. I need refreshing. I need to sleep. I need, you know, an energy drink every now and then. I need energy. That doesn't mean I'm not strong. So don't live off energy. Develop strength of in the secret place. Let the roots be down by the river of God, uh, which is different than rain. Um, but hustle. Uh, that's on me. That's my godly fullness, living to my full potentiality as a, as a leader, maximizing my lifespan, um, leaving nothing on the table. So I just want to honor God. That's the holy hustle for me. Come on, man. The best leader, communicator I know, guys. And uh, man, this has been a blast. You have so much. I, I got to do a part two eventually as you are able to share um, the next level with uh, the school you're going to, some cool news there, the stuff that you'll be able to publish and create as a result of that. But man, I love you. So grateful for you. This has been just fire. And I'm excited to uh, get this out to everyone. 